You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. Make no mistake, we serve a God who is able that even the dead obey His voice. Isn't that incredible? Great to see you guys. Hope you're doing well and uh, trust you're well. Also online, so glad that you're joining us this morning. And uh, an announcement for you, particularly online, is we'll be doing the Lord's Supper next week. So uh, if that's something you want to participate at home, make sure you get some crackers and and juice uh, this week as well. We'd love to have you share uh, with us also. So, hey, this morning we're wrapping up our our, uh, series on the Beatitudes, the blessings that that Jesus came and spoke uh, to his early followers. And I've given you a number of different pictures of those kind of eight streams that come in together into one stream of life. Jesus was populating the kind of the the universe for people, trying to help them understand what it really meant to be a Christian because they had had experienced religion that had kind of gone off the rails, really away from what God really intended. Not so much that they were doing the stuff wrong. They were actually going through the motions and doing all the religious stuff, but their hearts weren't there. And Jesus, through these Beatitudes and even what we call the Sermon on the Mount, if you will, one of these early teachings in Jesus' ministry, really strikes and gets at the heart of things. Well, this morning we're going to see that that Jesus tells us that we're blessed when we are persecuted, when we are treated inappropriately, unkindly, talked about wrongly uh, because of our faith. Make no mistake, while there's, you know, I don't know that we can tie a straight line, a, a, a linear, you know, one to two to three to four, kind of these these different beatitudes as they build upon one another. But make no mistake that there's a reason this one is last. You see, if you live this kind of life, then what Jesus is telling us is you are going to experience persecution. If you live a life in which you are poor in spirit, in which you recognize your own sinful nature, if you mourn over your own sin and realize that that you shouldn't be in that world, that there's something else that you should be, if you live in such a way that you are meek, not living life all about yourself, you know, the world tells us and teaches us to, you know, go out and grab it and make you, yourself, you know, the center of the universe. You ought to be happy. You ought to Whatever you want is what you should do in life. And, and Jesus came and taught us the opposite. So if we live that way, we're going to ultimately be different. And if we know anything in our culture and our world around us, it's when you're different, you get picked on. You get teased. You get bullied. But what Jesus is talking about this morning is more than just bullying He tells us that we are blessed when we experience bona fide real persecution. So this morning, I wanted to simply identify, I want to help us to understand what persecution really is. Sometimes we think of persecution in other lands, but I want us to discover this morning that persecution happens right here in our own communities, in our own culture right here in the U.S., I want us to talk a little bit just about why we experience that, what's going on, and then how do we handle that? How do we, how do we address that and, and, and deal with those, that kind of persecution? So, so first off, what is the persecution? I, I'm calling this persecution defined. Read with me if you will, and, and, and get a picture of what this definition of persecution really is. The Bible says in Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted 
for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and they persecute you, and they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution defined. When, she, when I usually think about persecution, you know, I've kind of, most of my life has been lived here in the U.S. I was, people ask where you're from. Well, I was born in Germany. Oh, do you know German? No, I was only there 11 months. And usually the next question is, well, can you speak German? I'm like, no, I was only there 11 months. You know, kind of, like I wasn't speaking much of anything, you know, at the ripe age of, of, of less than a year. So I know this culture, right? And, and I, growing up in church and, and, and looking at the, the, the Christian church, the globe over, I know that many followers of Jesus in other lands face way more persecution than we have faced here in the U.S. and much more than we will ever face. And in, in countries where, um, where a different faith rules and reigns and where there is a marriage between government and, and religion and, and, and a state-run religion, if you will, Christians in those environments don't fare very well. They suffer tremendous persecution. And, and I have to admit that in my mind, when I think of real persecution, I think of people being put to death for their faith. I think of people who lose their life and just the stories and the atrocities that you can read. And there's some wonderful ministries online that, that are designed for them. And, and uh, my, my wife and I support some of them directly because we're told to remember those in their chains who are imprisoned and, and who are martyred for their faith. But I want us to recognize that Jesus' definition of persecution is a bit broader than that. Jesus says that persecution is even when people talk smack at you for your faith, when people look down at you for your faith, when people are harassing or menacing or speaking reproachful things for your faith. Notice that the persecution he identifies with this morning is all people who are speaking stuff. In verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you. When That whole idea of reviling is when somebody speaks a reproach or insults you. He says, Blessed are you when they say those kinds of things. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, And when they even say all kinds of evil against you falsely. You see, persecution is any act or word, any deed or statement against you or your lifestyle because of Jesus and what He has done in you. That's what persecution is. This word persecute means to come at you. It means to, to push at you. It means to, to come at you. So when someone is coming at you against you, because of something, and, and they're saying things or they're doing things because of what Jesus means to you and the life you live because of Jesus and because of the change that He has worked in your life as a child of His, that is persecution. Now, make no mistake, Jesus knows that some of His followers are going to be martyred and put to death. If we look at church history, most of the apostles were martyred for their faith 
We see John, the apostle himself, in exile, banished for his faith, living on, on an island. Uh, although, you know, today I don't know if you're on an island in the Mediterranean that really counts as persecution. Like, I could suffer for Jesus there, except they get skin cancer. That'd be a whole other story. But most of us would like that. But John was not on vacation. He was exiled, cut off from friends and family and whatever. And most of the apostles were put to death for their faith. In fact, church history tells us that that tells us that Peter, when he was being crucified, felt himself unworthy, and so he asked to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way that the Lord Jesus died. But it's significant for us this morning, and I don't want us to miss that because I think many well-meaning, intentional Christians, that we tend to define persecution as something that's way out there, and we think, well, I've never suffered that, when Jesus actually is helping us to understand Hey guys, if you live this different lifestyle, if you live this life that you really are all in for Jesus, and you really are living pure in heart, you're not going to go the way of the world around you. The world is going to want you to join in in all the various things that it does, and you're going to be like, hey, I'm not comfortable. I can't do that. And there's going to become a clash of values, a clash of lifestyle, a clash of family history, a clash of all kinds of things because of decisions that you're beginning to make in your life for Jesus. And what he's telling us is, is, is that even when people speak bad things about you, and they're not speaking truth, he says we're blessed because that's what persecution really is. Now, you guys have heard me say before, and I will continue to say because there's a lot of just messed up followers of Jesus in this world. They're either really weird, right? Or they're really rude, or they're just jerks or whatever. And the Bible never tells us to live that way at all. So we're not talking, we're not, this is not an excuse for you to walk around with a chip on your shoulder or to be a jerk or to be, you know, just not, not genuinely caring in the world around you and, and being willing to do all the things that Jesus said to do, back up. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be pure in heart and all of these things in our life. But what Jesus is telling us, and I want us to really recognize is, is that if we're really looking at what He says, most of us in this room who are followers of Jesus have probably experienced some level of persecution and we'll experience it again. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Jesus is talking to people who had ingrained in, in part of their religious tradition and their faith, had gotten this popular idea that, well, if you really are pleasing God, then everything is going to work out really well in your life. And if things are going bad for you, then you've done something wrong, and God's not happy with you. And what Jesus is cutting through here is like, hey guys, you can be genuinely following the Lord Jesus, but be in a spot to where things aren't good for you. To be in a spot where there could be potentially some family conflict. To be in a spot where it could begin to cause raise some eyebrows at work. You can be in a situation where neighbors might say things that... Friends might look at you like, what is wrong with you? Why? We're just wanting to go do this. It's no big deal. And you're like, I know it's no big deal for you, but it is for me. I can't. And then your friends begin to feel convicted and feel like you're judging them. And you're like, I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you I can't do that. I'm, you do what you want. It's a free world. 
but I can't join you. Well, why can't you? You used to be able to. And before you know it, they're beginning to speak in the middle of all of that against you. Jesus says, when you and I experience those things, that we should look up and to realize that we are blessed and that there is great reward for us. Again, when we are experience those things because we're living before our God, because we're honoring Him. By the way, if you live out your Christian in your whole life as a follower of Jesus, and you never have anybody that either gets frustrated or talks bad about you or any difficulty legitimately for your faith, then there's probably something wrong somewhere. You're either trying to live such like a chameleon that you're such a private closet follower of Jesus, Christian, that nobody around you knows so that you know just how to blend in, if you will. Or you genuinely are not a follower of Jesus in your heart and there really is not a, hasn't been a big life change inside of you. Because what we're talking about is that, that God in heaven changes us. And He makes us different. And you can see and smell and taste and, and touch. And uh, here are those differences in people. And it's when those things that begin to happen is when persecution follows in and ensues. So let me share with you the second thing, kind of persecution considered. And I was kind of segueing to that anyway. Why do we, why do we experience this? You know, most Christians that I know and most people, I want to get along with people. I don't, I really don't like conflict or turbulence or difficulty. I, I don't, I'm not interested in that. I'm not looking to pick fights or have arguments or to be proven right or any of this or an end any of those things at all. And I think, I think most Christians are there. Most followers of Jesus are there. So why do we experience this? Well, our Lord Jesus gives us three reasons that I see in this passage. The first one is, is it's for righteousness' sake. Look at verse 10. We're blessed when we're persecuted, but persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is not being persecuted or picked on because your football team is really lame and they haven't won anything in the last however many years. This is, this is not being picked on because you're that obnoxious fan, right? You know? Uh, and everybody like, around you doesn't like you uh, for that very reason. We're talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, for living out our, a godly lifestyle because we are pure in heart, because we hunger and we thirst for righteousness was the beatitude that said earlier, because we have an appetite for it, we have a taste for it, we want to, we've turned our back on sin and we've said, we've repented from that and we've, put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus. We've surrendered our life to Him. And because of that, the God of heaven has invaded our soul. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, the Bible teaches. And we're a follower of Jesus. And everything has been changed that Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. I'm looking forward to when we walk through that, that book, some amazing truths in there, and we unpack that. that and when, we, when He's brought that change into our life, he puts inside of us more and more hunger for Him and a, a desire to do and to think and to live in a way that pleases and honors Him that we want to. So often people are like, well, I don't want to become a Christian because you don't ever have any fun and you don't want to do any of the stuff that's fun. 
There's actually two answers that are appropriate to that. Oh yeah, tell me, all that fun you're having, how much fun is that really? How is that working out for you in your life? You ever notice that how disastrous and destructive all that fun really is? And then the second thing is, is like, look, you don't understand. When God comes and changes your life, He gives you a new nature. He, you get to have a lot of fun, but He changes your interest and your, your focus. There's a complete personal makeover in your life that you're brand new, the Bible says. So what happens in our life is that we want to pursue Him. And persecution comes where that desire in your heart to live a way that honors God comes clashing with the world around it that's hell-bent literally and going against God and living differently. There's going to be inevitably friction in the middle of that. You see, the world around us doesn't care so much what we believe. They believe in Jesus. Believe whatever you want. Buddha, that's fine. Whatever floats your boat. Nothing. That's cool. You know, whatever you want to do. But the persecution comes when that righteous lifestyle, when, when we desire to no longer be a part of the junk, and that's where the rub begins to hit. It can happen with families. It can happen with, with friends especially. In fact, it seems to happen often with those that know us the most. We bump into it at work. We begin to smell it a little bit. People begin to treat us maybe a little bit differently when they find out if we've recently become a follower of Jesus. Or, and you can kind of pick up on those side conversations. Now, some of those might be just because you haven't brushed your teeth in a week and they're like smelling your bad breath. Like, you know, we're not talking about that stuff. But sometimes it's because you're refusing to join in the office criticism and you're like, hey, I'm not going down that road. My, my, you don't even have to tell them why, but they're like, what is her problem? She should be like, she's, she should be joining us. And it's because of our, our righteousness. It's because of the goodness that God has put inside of us and He's trying to build out even more. It's because the last time when you joined in that junk, you felt so convicted. And you said, God, forgive me. I don't ever want to do that again. I am not going down that road. And you begin to remove yourself from that. And sometimes people don't understand and they feel like they're personally rejected or they feel like you're judging them or feel like you're saying you're better than them. And you're like, look, none of that. But I just, God has done something in my life and I can't go down that road. Now, you and I, even if we are not preaching the gospel, people are going to see those differences in us. You cannot hide this if it's really present, if God is really living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit and changed your life, He's made you a lighthouse that you, you can't hide. Now, you can kind of, like I, I said a minute ago, you can kind of try to be a chameleon and kind of push it down in, but just after this passage, and we're not going to preach the rest of this Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus says, hey, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Don't be trying to suppress that, any of that. I made you to shine. I made you to stand out and to be salty, to, to, to show the flavor of what God wants to do in somebody's life when He saves them from their sin and the despair and the destruction and all of the junk. It's like, I made you for that very reason. 
And if you are at all living any, I mean the most modest amount of faith, it's going to come out. People are going to pick up on that, and they're going to begin to jeer, and they're going to begin to mock, and they're going to begin to wonder, and they're like, what is going on? I was a, a freshman year in college when I experienced that, and, and the kind of the backstory to it, to be honest with you, I was like a lot of Christian kids that are raised in Christian families, kind of coasting behind mom and dad. And that first year or two, I was a follower of Jesus, but I was coasting in my life spiritually. You know, I wasn't going to church while I was on campus. I wasn't really pursuing on my heart the things of God. I didn't turn my back on God. I still was a follower of Jesus and still very much believed all of those things. But He wasn't priority in my life in that time, right? And I remember freshman year, and I came into my, my dorm room, and like all other students, I had a bunch of friends or whatever, and, and, and they weren't uh, followers of Jesus. And, and I remember getting, I don't in my drawers and pulling out some clothes to wear T-shirts, and I found some very inappropriate pictures, I'll leave it at that, in my drawers. In my, all of my, my dresser drawer and my desk drawer, and just, you know, obviously planted there. And it was a shock and a jolt to my system. And it dawned to me later on that my roommate and his friends were poking at me pretty hard because I wasn't busy looking at the same magazines they were looking at. Today it would be I wasn't online looking at that stuff. And they were mocking me and making fun of my life for Jesus. And I wasn't joining them in those conversations and those movies or whatever was going on. You see, even if I wasn't really, I had never shared the gospel with them because, again, Jesus was important to me, but he, I wasn't living priority. But that very lifestyle of Him living inside of me, you cannot hide that. You just can't hide it. You're going to stick out, and there's going to be a rub. The world around us begins to feel convicted of those things, and it begins to feel like we're speaking into them that they're doing something wrong. Listen to what Jesus, or, or excuse me, um, what John the Apostle writes. Actually, he's talking, it's, he's reporting what Jesus tells us. When Jesus, before he was crucified, he said this. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. I'm in, I'm in John 16, actually, verse, verse 7. He says, it's to your advantage if I go away. This is Jesus talking before he would be crucified and resurrected and go to heaven. And he says this, but if I go, or, or Amen. Way, the Helper, capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's ministry functions around three things. Convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. And Jesus says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. Old Testament righteousness was the law on paper. New Testament righteousness was Jesus. And now today, it's the Holy Spirit. And he says, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit because, uh, and because uh, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, but concerning judgment, this is the third reason, because the ruler of this world is judged. Hear what Jesus said. He said, look, when I came into this world, this world became convicted of sin. Because people don't believe. And, and they were convicted of 
righteousness, of what righteousness looked like. But I'm leaving, so the Holy Spirit will come and take my place in that. When you and I live our life, we are living out before God that righteous standard before holy God. And the world becomes convicted of righteousness. You living out your faith, just not even saying anything, is going to make the world begin to cringe or to feel guilty, begin to feel convicted. And people, we don't like that. And so people will say things about you, about your family, how this is a church, I guess. I've never heard that, but I guess that will happen one day. And it's because the Holy Spirit is at work through our lives, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. That's the first reason why it comes. It's because the Holy Spirit is in us, we're living out our faith, and the world bumps into it, feels bad, doesn't like it, and begins to push off. And as it so happens, I mean, if we, if we know anything in our generation today, with everybody can hop online and have their own little, you know, and you can post on Twitter, TikTok, you can post on anything you want and have your little say into the world, but we will complain and speak bad about all kinds of things. And Jesus said, expect it. It's normal. Second reason, not only because of righteousness that we live out our life is why that persecution comes, but notice Jesus said it comes because of Him. He says down uh, in verse 11, He says, when people utter all kinds of, they speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see, you and I will be spoken evil against simply because of Jesus, because of our identity with Him. Because of Him. No other reason. It's one thing to think nice things about Jesus, but when you live out a Jesus lifestyle and you really begin to see what Jesus is for, it begins to get uncomfortable. So you either jump in and say, I'm going all in with you, Jesus, or you run a million miles away from Jesus. It usually goes one of two ways. So because of our righteous lifestyle and because we're hanging around Jesus and being with other Jesus people, and then the third reason is, is because we're sent out as His representatives into this world. This is subtle, but look at verse 12 in Matthew 5. Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Prophets were interesting. They were odd ducks in the Old Testament. I mean, John the Baptist was kind of the last prophet-only kind of guy. And the Bible says he wore, he ate, you know, grasshoppers and locusts, lived in the desert, wore an itchy, scratchy camel fur. He's kind of a wild man. He would be a hermit by today's standards. And the prophets had one job in the Old Testament. Their job was to speak out the words of God, most often primarily to people that didn't want to hear it. But often, some of the people did. And they were chosen to go to speak to kings. And very often, the kings didn't appreciate what they said. So they were arrested. Jeremiah was thrown down in a pit. They were put to death. They were hunted. Their job was to speak out about God to the world around them. 
Now here's a subtle shift that I want you to know. There were a very limited number of prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, most of the prophets were false prophets. They weren't teaching the things of God. They just said they were. Today, fast forward, guess who are the ones that Jesus sends out into the world to speak on His behalf? Not just the few, and thankfully not just the weird, <laughs> but all of us. You see, if we're living out our faith and we're speaking out our faith as Jesus expects, He's aligning our life and our ministry, one with the prophets. There are going to be some people along the way that don't like it, that are offended, that will say we're a, a whatever phobe, that, are, that will speak and say you just are full of hatred and judgment. And no matter how much we say, look, I, I love people, I love you, I want you to know Jesus, they won't buy it because we're speaking the truths of God. So church, we shouldn't try to make this bigger than it is. In fact, the Bible says, in as much as is possible, live at peace with all people. That means putting up with a lot of junk that we even talked about last week, being willing to suffer, uh, suffer wrongs from other people. But living that lifestyle, we're going to experience it and we're going to experience it because we're trying to live before God and speak the words of life and hope into a world that's, that's on its way to destruction, that's experiencing the, the moral and, and decay personally in people's lives and socially in the fabric of life and community. And bottom line, people and organizations and world powers will not like it. So how do we live in that? I I'm not so naive to think that persecution won't get a little worse and worse in our little part of the world here. As our world seems to increasingly turn its back more and more on a lifestyle that honors God and more and more hold to that, I think we should expect persecution more and more. So how do we handle it? Let me give you some, some thoughts and I'll be done. First, don't live in fear. You know, ever notice how often the Bible says, fear not? Seems like whenever God's coming, first thing he says, fear not, don't be afraid. Just how often? Fear is probably the emotion. I'm not a psychologist or sociologist by any stretch, and I've not looked up any stats or studied it, but fear has got to be one of the most troublesome emotions that we experience, right? We all experience it, and there's different words for it, anxiety and panic and dread and worry and angst and we have a, a, a menu of options that we're really talking about the same thing, just different shades of color, if you will, right? I'm that guy that I go to the store to get paint, and I'm like, it's blue. Well, no, it's aquamarine. It's, you know, it's just, I'm like, it's, you know, I'm like, it's blue. I just, you know, it's blue or it's pink or it's green. I don't have a big vocabulary when it comes to colors. Fear is like that. It's got multiple shades, but it's all that same issue of fear. And the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over tells us to not be afraid. And the reason why is because we struggle to not be afraid. And with persecution, Jesus was trying to help His followers to not be afraid, instead have hope. That's the bottom line, what He's trying to do with this piece. Don't be shocked if you experience this. Everything's okay. Don't be afraid. Instead, have hope. So, you and I the Bible, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 28 that the wicked flee when no one, there's no danger present. But it says this, that the righteous are as bold as a lion. 
When I, uh, I went to Africa on a mission trip once, and uh, we were there for two weeks, and the last day of the trip, we went uh, out to like a, a national game park or whatever, and we, we played tourists. We drove around one of those little you know, minivans and, or whatever we were in to, to see all the animals. And, and we saw all, all kinds of stuff, zebra and whatever. And, and we happened to, to get near a lion. It was a male big lion. And we got, I bet, I mean, from here, closer than here to the sound booth, you know, maybe you know, just 20 yards, 30 yards from, uh, from this thing. And I want you to know that lion was not afraid. The zebras, the gazelles, they all took off when we were coming around. They ran away. That lion, he couldn't have cared less. He just kept... He knew he was top dog and boss of the land. You see, the Bible tells us that as followers of Jesus, that we should walk with confidence, not boss or in charge, not jerk and prideful, but in confidence. And we, our confidence comes not in us, but it comes in God. It comes in that our Lord is the maker of heaven and earth. The, the Bible tells us that we should not be afraid, do not need to be afraid. Listen to what Psalm 119 says. I so loved reading the Psalms. I hope you finished your challenge. I finished mine this week. I was a little bit of a late bloomer, but so helpful encouraging me in my faith. But listen to what 119 verse 90 says, talking about God. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. Talking about God. God, your faithfulness. You're faithful. You have established the earth and it stands fast. God, you made it, you put it here, and you're the one still holding it, keeping it there. And by your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. Listen to what he said. He says, God, your faithfulness, I can trust you. And God, you're the one who made this whole world. And God, you're the one who keeps it together today. In fact, everything that I look at in this world, God, is your servants. Every drop of water, every molecule and atom, everything, every kingdom, everything in this world bows down before you. Folks, that should give us a confidence and a trust that when you and I face any kind of persecution, whether the things that threaten us internally because we want to be seen as a part of the, 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 the group or, you know, in our, our family or whatever today, but whatever threatens or challenges us, that we can have a bold trust in our God in heaven. So instead of being afraid, trust God and encourage yourself in the Word and the things that God says and consciously put your thoughts there and your mind and heart there. Second thing, don't take it personally. People get offended at you. This is not family drama. This is not, this is not the typical stuff that goes on in a family. Don't take it personal. It's Jesus that people have, are having trouble with. Let it roll off your back in as much as possible. Like, God, they're really upset at you. But I'm so glad that you saved me and so privileged to be part of your family. So don't take it so personally. Third thing, this one's big. Stop seeking the approval of others. Sean, I'm not trying to seek approval from other people. We all are probably more than we want to admit. From a young child on... We want to fit in, right? Best I can tell, most teenagers in life, when they're in school, they just don't want to stick out. They want to fit in. We call it peer pressure. But even as adults, we do the same thing. And we care deeply 
that we find our niche, that we fit in with that crowd that we want to be identified with, that we want to walk with, and we don't like to be singled out. We can't stand it. And what our Lord Jesus told us is, is that we should be willing to stand with Him. And if it means that we stand out in the crowd, then so, so be it. The crowd's not ever going to be comfortable. The world will never be comfortable with us because of Jesus. So stop trying to fit in. In fact, if we try to fit in too much, there's a, an idol in there. Our self-identity is wrapped up in what other people think about us rather than it really being wrapped up in what God thinks about us. And we could talk more about that, but that's another time, another day. Don't try to fit in. Live your life and your faith boldly. Don't be afraid in sharing the gospel. Well, Sean, I have tried and it just never works out. Nobody wants to hear. You know, statistics tell us that it takes, I've heard anywhere from like nine people to 30 people that we have to talk to about Jesus before someone will really want to hear it. Now, that's not to say that those, none of those people will never want to hear it. Sometimes we're planting seeds and later on down the road, somebody else talks to them and they become one of the ones that do. But change your idea of success as you live out your faith and as you live out representing God. Change the definition of success from seeing somebody who actually receives Christ or, you know, we all want somebody to just fall on their knees and repent before God and like, whoo, that's great. But change it instead to just be a faithful witness. Somebody who uses their mouth, lives their life for God and shares that truth in a way that a person could take their next step toward God, toward faith in Jesus Christ, toward turning from their sin to Him. So live that and share that boldly. You see, it's when you and I that don't do that and we begin to get a little nervous or want to keep that quiet today, then tomorrow we keep it even more quiet, and the next day even more, and the next day even more. And before we know it, we're ruled by fear, and you can't even use a crowbar to pry open our mouth. Instead... Ask God, God, would you give me an opportunity to live that, to share that, and live that boldly and live, live faithfully. See your life and celebrate the fact that you're an identifier. We ought to wear it as a merit badge at some degree. Uh, there should be a little bit of a badge of honor. I'm not talking about being prideful, but we ought to, if we're going to have pride, let's have pride in what God has done in our life. But we ought to be glad that people notice there's something different about us when that difference is Jesus because it identifies us that we're on His team. That's what Jesus is really telling us here. He's like, look, when, you, when people figure out that you're on a different team, you're marching to the beat of a different drummer, and that drummer is Jesus, and your lifestyle is different, you ought to celebrate that, because you're living such an authentic faith that you're the real deal, and you have an eternity in heaven with me. And that's the last thing. To endure that persecution well, focus on home. That's what Jesus is doing. He's like, look, guys, I know it's going to be rough, team. I know you're going to face, if you're just the average ordinary follower of mine, you're going to face persecution. It's going to come. Celebrate it. You have a great reward and put your attention toward heaven, toward your home. You see, as a follower of Jesus, it should be natural The more and more this world around us is not our home. This is not. This is not what we're living for, gang. 
I, I love a lot of the stuff that I do in this world and get to do. Some of the stuff I have to do, I don't like a whole lot. You don't either. <laughs> That's okay, right? There's chores at home. There's even chores at church. But our home is in heaven. You ever buy a house or maybe move into a new apartment and it still has the old stuff there and the old paint and whatever? It doesn't feel like home, does it? It doesn't until you kind of put your fingerprint on it. I, the home we moved into, the people that sold us their home were wonderful people and just so gracious, unbelievably gracious. And, but the, the, the wife wrote us a little letter. And uh, after we closed on the house, we got to open the letter. Thankfully, it wasn't any bombshells. It was just telling us some things that you know would be helpful about the house or whatever. And one of the things she said, and the kitchen. Oh, do not ask what we were thinking. <laughs> we, had already, we had already asked that, you know. Probably the people behind me are like, what was he thinking? I mean, our, if everything in our kitchen, it was not a big kitchen, but the dishwasher was as far away that direction as you could get, right in the doorway, so you couldn't walk through the doorway and open the dishwasher at the same time. The stove was on the opposite doorway, far side, same deal, couldn't open the stove when somebody's walking by. The sink was a million miles from the dishwasher, on this corner, and over here was a fridge in this corner. Like it, They spread it out as far away as it could possibly be, and Susan and I were like, what in the world? You know, This is not just ugly green tile, which we had some of that too. It wasn't home to us, because it's nothing that we would ever do. But after you paint, and after you put up some pictures, and after you kind of put your fingerprints on it, and you've lived in it, it begins feeling like home. What Jesus is telling us is our life should be a little bit like that on this earth. That while we're living here, it's not going to just fit quite right and feel that homey because it ain't home. Our home is there. And we can enjoy and we live for God and God wants to bless us in this life. But He's telling us, you're going to feel out of place. It's going to happen. And when it does, you're okay. Look up and just know this is not your home. It's not. So church, Jesus says that we're blessed when we live this way. It's a package deal. I hope these Beatitudes that different ones have spoken into your heart, but today you may be in the middle of some of that persecution. You may not have ever thought of that. Well, I'm just putting up with some junk. Well, that's what Jesus is talking about, the junk that's coming your way because of Jesus and His lifestyle. Just smile. Say, thank you, God, that I'm on your team and know your hope is in heaven and keep your focus there. And keep living for Him. Don't be jerks. Live in... in fact, the Bible says when a man's ways please his Lord, the Lord makes even his enemies be at peace with him. There's something wrong if everybody doesn't like you. But instead, live for Him and let Him li live out His life and testifying through you. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that the Holy Spirit lives in us and changes us. Father, help us to, to hold our heads high, not in pride, but in a joy and a confidence in the middle of persecution. Help us to not be so worried about what other people think and say. I mean, some of that's healthy, but not to the degree that we usually do. Father, help us to find our identity fully that we belong to you and that our home is in heaven. Help us to live out our faith boldly. Forgive us, Father, when we have fear and we give more credence to that which we're afraid of than we give to you. We act like those things are more powerful and we care about those more than we care about you. Father, deliver us from those. Help us to live 
godly in this generation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, I hope you have a, a blessed week. I pray you don't have to suffer any persecution this week, but if you do, look up. You've got hope and help in heaven. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.